today we're going to spend time in the reading, uh, reading through the book of Psalms. Um, this is the read and rant where we'll spend 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture and then we'll spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting and ruminating over the text. There's nothing planned today. We simply want to posture ourselves to hear from God, to hear what God has to say to us as we read through the text. We've been reading from Genesis, and now we're all the way to the book of Psalms. And as we've been journeying through the scriptures, what we've been doing is we've been encouraging you, rather than seeing verse by verse what the Bible is saying, but to actually see it in, in from a bigger perspective, from large portions and large swaths of the text. And so we're just reading. That's really our primary focus is to read and then to posture ourselves in a way to hear from God about what it is that we're reading and to get a bigger picture of what the books that we're reading are really all about. And so we're going to pray. And what we're praying into is that the Lord would posture us appropriately in the reading of his word. We're going to back up and we're going to say, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? These are the three questions that we're going to ask as we commit our time today in the reading of the Word. So let's pray to get started. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. Lord, you are present among us. Father, I thank you that even though we deal with technological difficulties, Lord, but that you've given us the creative capacity and facility, Lord God, to Lord design things that would bring people from all around the world to come together for the reading of your Word. So Lord, bless us today. Bless us as we engage in your word. Lord, guide us, Lord, as we spend the few minutes that we have here together, Lord, that we would receive something for eternity. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Let's read. We are in Psalm chapter 6, and we're going to read, and then we're just going to reflect on what the Lord has to say to us today as we read for the next few minutes. Psalm 6, verse 1, it says this, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I'm weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard my voice in my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all of those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, there is iniquity in my hands. If I have repaid evil to him, who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of your enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. 
so the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows for fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He has made a pit and dug out and has fallen into the ditch which he has made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the path of the seas. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Hmm. Chapter 9. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell you of your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, and their memory has perished, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenged blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughters of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have struck down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their foot is caught. 
The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared by the work of his own hands. Hmm. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may show themselves to be but men. Chapter 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be an adversary. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits itself to you. You are a helper to the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. Wow. I'll read one more, or maybe two. Psalm 11. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the ones who love violence, his soul hates. But the wicked, he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. One more. Chapter 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly of everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. 
and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said, with your tongue, or sorry, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighting of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like a silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. The word of God. You know, you can describe a relationship with God with how a Caribbean woman makes her Kool-Aid. I remember when my mom made Kool-Aid, she used to mix it a different way. It wasn't until I left my home I realized Kool-Aid is mixed completely differently. The way my mom would mix Kool-Aid is she would get a cup and she would put the Kool-Aid mix in the cup. And after she would put the Kool-Aid mix in the cup, she would get the pitcher of water, a large pitcher of water. And, and then afterwards, she would pour the pitcher of water into the cup. And afterwards, she would take the cup, whatever is in there, and then pour it back into the pitcher of water. And then she would pour, and she would just continue pouring in and out, pouring in and out, pouring in and out. My mom would know that she's done mixing when what was in the cup looked like what was in the pitcher. And that's very much how our relationship with God is like. God keeps pouring into us and we keep pouring back into him. And as we pour into each other, eventually what happens is we end up looking exactly like God. That is what I see when I read the book of Psalms. When I see the book of Psalms, what I, what I see, and I like to say what I see, not just what I'm reading or what I'm hearing, is what I see is a pouring in and a pouring in and a pouring in and a pouring in and then a pouring back out and a pouring in and a pouring back out and a pouring in and a pouring back out. I don't know. Did anybody have any um, um, parents that mixed their Kool-Aid that way? I don't know if anybody remembers that. I used to, that was just the normal thing. It was weird to me when I saw people just take the mix and just pour it into the pitcher and just kind of just mix it around. That was weird to me. I was like, what are you doing? That's not how you mix. That's not how you make Kool-Aid. <laughs> the way you make Kool-Aid is you get a cup and then you keep pouring it, pouring it, pouring it. And somehow it works a lot better, by the way. So go ahead and try it. But it's just how I've noticed a lot of Caribbean parents, that's what they do, right? They just, they just take the mix and then they just keep pouring them into each other. And you never need to use a spoon. You don't need to use a cup. You don't need, sorry, you need a cup, but you don't need a spoon. You don't need anything. You just need the mix and a cup and a pitcher. Okay. It just works out that way. Maybe it's just they're used to mixing without having, uh, I don't know, a large spoon or something. I don't know, but that's just how it was done. And it mixes really, really well, by the way. So go ahead and try it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we mix with a spoon. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do that. We don't do that over here. Okay. Uh, us Haitians, maybe it's a Haitian thing. Maybe it's a Haitian thing. Who knows? Um, but I, I want to just emphasize that, that when we're reading through the book of Psalms, when we're reading through the book of Psalms, it is um, a powerful expression of the heart of God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do sugar as, as well, Mike. We do sugar as well, okay? She'll put the mix and the sugar, and then she'll just boom, 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 back and forth. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Africans do it too. There you go. See that? See? I'm not alone. 
okay? I'm not alone, all right? Um, but going back to our thought for today, and it's something that I want you to see, is that your engagement with the book of Psalms should be very similar to how my mother mixed her Kool-Aid. Your engagement with the book of Psalms should be when you come to God, you come empty, but as God continues to pour and you pour and he pours and you pour, all of a sudden over time, the pouring back and forth shapes you and transforms you into becoming like God. And I think for many of us, the challenge that we've had is that we can find ourselves really submitting to the temptation that we need to know more Bible. We need to know more Bible. We need to know more scripture. We need to know more scripture. And for a guy who uh, loves the word and for a guy who does something called the read and rant and engages you in the word every day, of course, the word is important. But what purpose does the word have if God isn't shaping you in it? If he isn't forming you, if he isn't molding you, what, 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 what purpose does the word have if you're inserting yourself and prostrating yourself, and yet you're not seeking to be transformed through your endeavor with God? What purpose is it if it isn't a relational engagement with God? When God purifies us, and this is something that I think is so profoundly important, is that when God does a work in us, when God is is transforming us. This isn't God coming in and he's tink, 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 and he's, you know, burning you and beating you. And he's, and then afterwards he kind of just walks away. And then you kind of, you know, in your own little place, do your best to work it out for yourself. And, and here you are trying to get it right and trying to fix it and trying to work it out. And then afterwards you come back to God and God's like, nah, that ain't good enough. And then God, boom, 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 beats you down. And then all of a sudden we have this sort of uh, uh, oppressive, um, shameful, transactional way that we look at our relationships with God. When instead of looking at it that way, this is an intimate engagement that we have with God. Like we're intimately participating with God in a way that it's through this romance that we have with God that God begins to transform us. I don't know if anybody understands what I'm saying. I think often people ask, well, how does the love transform? Well, love always changes you. Love always changes you. Just think about it. Take the person that you love the person that you care about. In the moment that you spend time with that person, you start getting to know the things that they like, the things that they love, the things that they like to do. Haven't you found yourself spending time doing things that initially you didn't love to do, but now because the person you love loves to do it, you end up doing it as well. And not only do you end up doing it, you end up enjoying it because the thing that you're doing now is you're doing it not out of your own pleasure and your own desire, but out of simply this relational engagement that you have with the person that you love. That's how love transforms. Love changes your desire because now your desire is not for certain things. Your desire is for a person. And when your desire is for the person, you begin to desire what that person desires because you want to be in relationship with that person. That's how love transforms. That's how love changes us. That's how love makes us into who God wants us to be. It's not simply, well, let me just obey this command. Let me obey that command and let's move on. 
and let's just keep, you know, I'll just keep doing my best and hopefully this will be good enough for God. And I'll just keep doing my best. And hopefully, that's not a romance. That's not a, a relationship. That's not, that's not what God wants. And it's not what we want either, if we can really be honest with ourselves. What we want is we want to be in intimate relationship with God. This is the pouring in and pouring out, the pouring in and pouring out. This is the pouring in and pouring out. And when we are in relationship with Him, like when we're truly engaged with Him, we just naturally just begin to change. It's not even forceful anymore. I always find it interesting how people are always saying how God forces Himself on people. God doesn't force Himself on people. God invites people to Himself. Can I say that one more time? God doesn't force himself on you. God is inviting you to himself. It's a different thing. It's an invitation. God's not going to shove himself on you, but his arms are always open to receive you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and let me in. He's just saying, hey, listen, I'm here. I'm inviting you to be in relationship with me. But when we come to God, his arms are open to us. And when his arms are open to us, he receives us in love. And when we are overwhelmed by the love of God, fam, your life has to change. It can't be the same. It profoundly changes because that's what the love of God does. You know, we talk about the theological breadth, the theological width of the book of Psalms and how theologically rich Psalms is. But let's not forget how emotionally aware the book of Psalms is. How, how emotionally evident the book of Psalms is. And how we, we don't just simply see the mind of God, the power of God, the will of God, but you're beginning to see the heart of God. If you saw the TikTok I posted this morning, it's actually, I just posted it before I got here. And it's interesting because that's a God thing. I didn't even know we were going to, uh, I kind of knew we were going to get to Psalm 8, but it just came out during that time in prayer is where Psalm 8 begins to reveal the heart of God towards man. Psalms 8, as we read it, and I, you know, I could I could be here all day. By the way, every one of these songs that we read could be a two-hour rant by itself. <laughs> Thank you, Angel. It's it could be a two-hour rant by itself. We're not afforded that. But I want to just point out some things that I think are incredibly important for us to remember in our time today. As we're reading through the book of Psalms, remember we said that this is a mixtape. This is a mixtape written to a people who are in exile. And these people who are in exile have this set of 150 songs written by various authors and various writers. And it's been organized in a way like how any good mixtape DJ does. Organizes the songs in a way. It could be a bunch of different rappers, a bunch of different artists, a bunch of different singers. But they're organizing it in a way to give you a message and a thread and a thought. And so we see the book of Psalms. And if you read it more from, you know, back up a little bit and you begin to read it from those large portions of text, you begin to see some themes throughout the book of Psalms that I want to point out to you, especially in our time of reading today. Because what we preface this all with is, 
and Psalm 1 and 2, which is kind of the introduction to the book, Psalm 1 and 2 tells us, it speaks about this coming Messiah, this establishing of the kingdom of God. And the children of Israel were awaiting this establishing of the righteousness and the justice of God, the coming of the Messiah who would bring the kingdom of God and bring in justice, righteousness and justice to all who are oppressed, to bring restoration to the earth and restoration to humanity, to redeem all of humanity and to redeem his people. That's what we see when we read the book of Psalms. And that's what the, that was the prelude, and that's what it begins with, and that's what it continues with. But I love that as we're reading through this, there's a knowing of what is to come but there's a dealing with what's happening right now. Oh man. Can I speak to y'all real quick? Yes. Sometimes you can know what's coming. You can know your healing is coming. You can know that your breakthrough is coming. You can know that, that, that everything's going to be okay. You can know that it's all in God's plan and everything's going to go. Everything's going to be all right. But even though everything's going to be all right, everything might not be all right right now. And that's okay for you to acknowledge that. Everything might not be the way you want it to be right now. And it's okay for you to acknowledge that everything might not be transpiring. And you may be going through pain. You may be going through suffering. You may be going through difficulties. And you can come to God with that because everything may be all right. And it may everything will be all right. But everything may not be all right. And that's okay. That's okay. And it's okay to come to God. It's okay to come to God and say, God, I have not lost hope. But man, today isn't going too good. And so when we read, before I even get to Psalm 8, because I want to close our time with Psalm 8, but when we read through Psalm 6, what we're reading through Psalm 6 is a people who we, we know everything's going to be all right, but right now it's not all right. And we're bringing to you the difficulties of what we're dealing with. This time isn't good. And so in verse 3, when it says, my soul also is greatly troubled, in verse 3, but you, O Lord, how long? How long, O Lord? Return, O Lord, verse 4, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? We already read this. But what are you seeing? You're seeing a people who know everything's going to be all right. But right now in this moment, God, how long are we going to have to go through this? How much longer are we going to have to wait? This is speaking into the pouring in and the pouring out that I was speaking about before. That as God pours into us, we can pour back into him. We can engage with him in a very powerful way. That as God is pouring and as God is pouring and we're pouring back to God and God's pouring at us and we're pouring to him, it's okay to come to God when you're mad, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you're in distress. You don't have to wait to get it together to come to God. Come to God with whatever you got. Come to God with whatever you're going through. Come to God with whatever pain and suffering. Come to God when you don't have the answers. You can come to God with it. And that's what we read here, you know? And then I love in verse nine, when it says in that chapter that the Lord has heard my supplication and received my prayer. He's saying, God, I'm complaining and I am tarrying and I'm speaking 
but I have not lost hope because even as I'm complaining to God about, Lord, how long? And Lord, my soul is troubled. And Lord, I'm going through this. That I can still say in confidence, the Lord has heard my prayer. There's some people right now who they may be losing that kind of hope. They may be losing that kind of confidence. Like, well, I've come to God and I didn't get an answer. The psalmist here didn't get the answer either. David, when he wrote this, did not get the answer. And yet, even though he didn't get an answer, and even though God didn't respond to him, David still affirmed this truth, that the Lord has received my prayer. I think that's a prayer a lot of us need to pray for. That's something that a lot of us need to to seek after. It's something a lot of us need to be reminded of, even in our time when we pray to God. Just because God didn't answer doesn't mean that God isn't listening. And just because we don't hear the answer of God doesn't mean that God has not responded. And just because we're going through it doesn't mean that God is working something greater and something bigger. Just because God has not answered your prayer, it does not mean that God isn't listening. And just because you're going through a lot of pain and yet you haven't seen any response from God doesn't mean that God isn't working. God is always on the move. God is always speaking. God is always moving. God is doing something for a greater mission, a greater plan, and that he's called you to be a part of it. So even when you pray and you haven't heard from him, be as the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 6, verse 9, after complaining to God about how long, The psalmist says, Lord, you have heard my supplication and you have received my prayer. God has received your prayer and God is at work with whatever it is that you're praying about. So be ready to receive God's answer because it's really not that far away. Tarry. Tarry in the Lord. Tarry in the Lord. And yet that's not really my primary point today. What we see themed throughout this book is that what they see, the children of Israel seeing, is that while they are in captivity, they see that life isn't going the way that it ought to go. Remember, we said this, this is a collection of songs written and sung over and over again by the children of Israel. They would sing these songs over again. A lot of these songs they had memorized. And they would sing them over and over again. Some of these psalms that we're reading were sung on a regular basis by the children of Israel as they were pouring themselves out to God and receiving a pouring of God into them. Pour in, pour out, pour in, and pour out. These children who are the children of Israel who believed and still had hope in the promise of God. And even though they had hope in the promise of God, they don't see, they don't see what was promised. They look and all they see around them is captivity. All they see around them is oppression. All they see around them is injustice. All they see around them is their enemies, their enemies. And what's funny is if you read in the text, It speaks into our heart. If we really read this, this speaks to our heart. If we really pour out like this, man, God can do something in our heart. If we just pour out, pour out, pour out, pour it out to God, let God pour back into you. Pour it out to God and let God pour back into you. I see this and these people are pouring out 
And they're saying things that we all think, but we wouldn't say to God. <laughs> Did you catch what I'm saying? They said things to God and saying things to God, even in worship, that we often wouldn't say to God. Things that we read in the text like, how come the rich are doing, how come, sorry, not the, how come the wicked are prospering? Well, why, why, why do I see, why do I see it's the wicked people that are living the good life? How come it's the wicked that are doing okay? How come it's the wicked that got it together? How come it's the people that you declared are righteous? They're the ones who are suffering. How come, how come, how come all this stuff is happening? God, are you angry with us? Like, what did we do to you? I thought we were your children. Shouldn't it be that the wicked should come to an end? They should all be dead. This is what they're saying right now. Guys, you see it? The, the wicked, they, they should be dead. The just should be established. They're the ones who should be living good. They're the ones who should be living the good life. And yet, God, it looks like they're doing all right. And they're oppressing us. And it looks like they're the ones with the power. But even when they saw all of this, Psalm 7 closes with, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord's most high. After just complaining to you, God, about what I see, it won't stop my praise. <sighs> this is a powerful revelation, family. That when you truly know who God is, your praise becomes unconditional. Not just your love, but your praise. Out of the unconditional love of God comes the unconditional praise of his people. That even though things aren't going right, God is still worthy of praise. Even though things are upside down, God is still worthy of praise. Even though life is not going the way I want it to, God is still worthy of praise. Even though I'm going through pain and suffering, God is still worthy of praise. Even though there is oppression and injustice in the world, and even though things don't look like the way they are, and even though the evil look like they're prospering and the righteous look like they're, they're, they're failing, even, even in all of that, God, I will give you praise. Real praise has no condition because God deserves the praise regardless of what you're going through. He deserves all the praise. He deserves all the glory regardless of what I'm going through. Eye surgery or not, he deserves the praise. Cancer or not, he deserves the praise. Pain or no pain, he deserves the praise. Even in the face of injustice, he deserves the praise. If I find myself stuck in a prison cell for the sake of him and his gospel, he deserves the praise. If I find that I'm going through illness and sickness, he still deserves the praise. No matter what I'm going through, God deserves the praise because, again, God deserves praise regardless of what I'm going through. My praise ought to be unconditional because God's love is unconditional. And yet who God is, is not a function of what I am going through. That's why there are people who are going through pain and can still praise. And people ask, well, how is it that you praise God even in the midst of what you're going through? Because what I'm going through doesn't determine whether I praise him or not. What I'm going through doesn't determine whether or not I give him praise. I give him praise no matter what I'm going through. But I get to Psalm 8. 
And as we see these people who are in distress, pay attention to this section of reading as I sit in it. These people who are, these people who are in captivity now, who are reading the Psalm of David, who see their enemies prospering, and yet they close with, we still praise regardless. Even when we're oppressed, we're praising. This is what delighting in the Lord looks like. And even though I'm going through it, I'm still going to praise. This is what it looks like. Pay very close attention, family, because this is where it gets beautiful. This is where it gets beautiful. Is that they're beginning to shift. Because as they pour into God, God begins to pour into them. And as they pour into God, God pours into them and they're pouring into God and God is pouring into them. And we see a journey here because the author then, David, goes to the next Psalm in Psalm 8. It's now that we know that this God still deserves praise. Who is this God? And he opens up in Psalm 8 and he says, Oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Quick little side note. I know we're not doing Bible study here, but we have to understand what the name of the Lord is. When people say the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. Or I will bless the name of the Lord. Or, or oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I find it interesting how people think that it's his name is just an amalgamation of words. Let me say that one more time. If we're going to talk about the name of the Lord, you know, when the verse says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. When we talk about the name of the Lord, where, oh Lord, oh Lord, in Psalm chapter 8, oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And we talk about blessing the name of God. When we talk about this name, please understand, because there's all this argument about the name of God, that the name of God is not an amalgamation of letters. The name of God is not a bunch of letters put together. So we're so busy talking about the spelling and the pronunciation of God's name that we miss out on what the name of God is. The word name is onoma. And the word name really speaks about the heart, the character, the mind, the will of God. The Hebrews did not understand the name as we think because we think the name is just some tag that you put on your shirt. But the name of God had everything to do with the identity of God, who God is, the authority of God, the mind of God, the will of God. So when he says, how excellent is your name above the earth, he's saying, how excellent is your rule above the earth? When we call upon the name of the Lord, what we're calling upon is the full authority and the power of God. So stop making his name some, some amalgamation of letters that you simply utter out. The name of God is Everything has everything to do with his authority, his power, and his will. So let's back away from this whole thing about you said his name wrong, or his name shouldn't be said this way. You know, his name isn't Jesus, his name is Yeshua, or his name is Yahashua. Or, you know, and so we have all these, there's no J in the Hebrew language. So why do we call him Jesus? And then you have others who will argue and say, well, we call him Jesus because, again, the J, the, the, the J you'll find in the Greek. And so it was a Septuagint, um, um, Septuagint translation of his name. And I'm like, okay, guys, let's just make sure we back up from this, all this. The name of God is not a bunch of letters. It doesn't matter which letters you use. When we talk about the name of God, it's an acknowledging of the character, the power, the authority of God. It's the onoma of God, not a bunch of letters you put together. Let's stop arguing about how to spell it and actually let us be in it. Bunch of irrelevant stuff, really, to be honest with you. Bunch of irrelevant stuff. 
But he says, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Ooh, I love this because he's speaking about the excellence of his name. Okay? You could try to give someone else the name of Yeshua or Yahweh or Yah. You can try to give that name. But there is no Yah other than God. There is no Yahweh other than God. As a matter of fact, his name wasn't even to be written down because you can't write his name down. I'm sorry, I'm ranting, I'm ranting, I'm ranting about the name of God. You know that even the Hebrews understood that the spelling of God's name, not, it's not that it was irrelevant, it was impossible. You could not write God's name down because his name was not going to be confined by a bunch of letters. Yeah, we're arguing about a bunch of letters. That's why when they wrote his name, they, they wouldn't even say his name. They wouldn't even write his name down. Because if you write his name down, just simply writing it down was an offense to him. That's how the Hebrews saw it. Because the Hebrews knew that his name could not be, his name, his onoma, who he is, his character, all of that could not be confined to a bunch of letters. And so they wouldn't even write Yahweh. They wouldn't write Yahashua. They wouldn't write, they would not do it. Because again, the name of the Lord cannot be confined by letters. So they would simply say the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. Have you noticed, just so, just a side note, I know, I'm, I'm, oh God, I'm ranting. Have you noticed, I guess that's what we're here for, right? We, we've read. Have you noticed, family, that up to this point, you haven't seen the name of God uttered or spoken? Has anybody noticed that? Have you noticed that all they simply just say is the name of the Lord? They, 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 they don't even say his name. The closest thing we get to his name is when Moses met God at the burning bush and Moses um, says, who will I say sent me? Oh my gosh. And God says to him, tell them that I am sent you. You ever notice that? You ever notice that when Moses came to the burning bush, and when Moses asked God, who sent you? God's response to him was, tell them that I am sent you. I am that I am. Yahweh. You ever notice that's the only time that we see God says to refer to him as something? And even then, God never said that that was his name. We're the ones who give him that name because we finally took that one verse and said, oh, there it is. There's his name. His name is Yahweh. And yet we can say that he's Yahweh because God says that he's Yahweh. But let's not say that Yahweh is his name in the same way that Isaac is my name. Let's not say that. Because if you notice, even after that, throughout the entire text, as we've been reading, I, I don't know if you guys are noticing what I'm reading. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. 
Where else do you see Yahweh? When we see, when we see, especially throughout Psalms, it's the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord, your name, your name, your name, your name is above all the earth. That wasn't even the point. Y'all caught me in a rant. Actually, I want to get to verse four. Because this God, whose name is above all things, his glory that's above the heavens, how excellent is his name in all the earth. This God who, um, who considers the heavens, which is the work of his fingers, and the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. This God who's above all these things. And the writer... David is in awe of God who cannot be confined by anything. And in his wondrous stupor, says in verse four, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. Yo! How are you so, for for how great you are, who are we? Who are we in all of this? I mean, just considering the heavens and the earth. Who are we? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put him over all things, sheep, oxen, the beasts of the air, the birds. Oh, Lord. He says, how excellent is your name in all the earth, and yet you are mindful of him. I want you to think about that for a second. That the God of the universe has you in mind. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe has you in mind. You in mind. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows all of it. And he's mindful of you. Just think about that for a second. Like, soak on that today. That he has you in mind. He's thinking about you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He has you in mind. The God of the universe. God of the universe loves you and knows you and has you in mind. Rest in that today. Just make that your, your thought for today. Soak on that today. If all the stuff that we talked about, everything that we said, and I know we're ranting and I know, but I want you to see how God pours himself 
into us. He has each and every one of you in mind. He knows you by name. He knows your heart. He knows you. He knows your thought. And here's the crazy thing about it. Is some of us, we don't have the best thoughts. Let's just be real. Some of us, we don't have the best thoughts at all. We got some real bad thoughts. We got some real nasty thoughts. We've got some real straight up evil thoughts. We've got some thoughts that if we let people know what we were thinking, they probably wouldn't even sit or hang with us anymore. There are a lot of us, our thoughts are corrupt. <laughs> our thoughts are <laughs> near wicked. And yet God knows your thoughts. He knows all of your thoughts. And he loves you. Soak on that for a minute. That he knows exactly what you're thinking. The stuff that you're thinking right now that people would reject you for, God already knows it and he accepts you and loves you deeply. Sit on that. Sit on that for a moment. If God knows your thoughts and he knows your heart and he knows exactly what's going on with you, knows everything that's going within you and he still loves you, why are we still performing for him? He knows the worst of us and yet he loves us and yet he's mindful of us. So let's stop performing for God who took all of us who prostituted ourselves from one dimension or another. And let's just go to him because his arms are wide open. Father, I thank you for reminding us today, Lord, as you pour into us today. As you're pouring your heart into us, as we read through the book of Psalms and you're pouring your heart into us, Lord, give us the capacity to pour back out into you that we need not fear what is in our mind and in our heart, but Lord, to Lord, bring them all to you so that you can then do what your love always does. And, and Father, I ask that even in this moment, there are those of us right now that are still hiding from you. There are those of us right now who are still ashamed. There are those of us right now who are, we're just, we don't even know how to come before you because of what we have that's within us. But God, how do you reveal this to us and for it to not draw us near to you? Lord, that you who, Lord, who's the creator of the universe loves us more than anything in the world and are mindful of us. Thank you for that revelation, Lord God, today. Allow us to sit in that. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.